Okay, everybody, let's get started. So, good morning. It's good to see your smiling faces again. Um, so, before we get started, let's, how about we open up in prayer? So, Father, I just thank you for um, today. I thank you for, Lord, your people that are here. Father, to hear what you have to say to us today. And, Lord, we just, um, we thank you for the blessing of relationship. You are a relational God, and Father, you have made us relational people. So, Lord, in the busyness of our days and the busyness of the things, Lord, that we think is and deem so important, Father, help us to realize that the most important thing is relationship, relationship with you, relationship with each other. And so, Father, we just ask for your spirit to be with us now. Father, as we open the word, and Father, and we look to your son Jesus, Father, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the Lord, that he would guide us in all things. And so we bless you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Good morning. So as usual, this space here is reserved for my wife, who is running around doing water baptism and doing all those things that uh, she does. So um, before I get into this series, which is going to last about four weeks, I um, want to do a couple of plugs. One, for Intimate Encounters, any of you that have been looking for um, Intimate Encounters for you and your spouse, um, Ann and Dave are starting an Intimate Encounters uh, group. So Wednesday nights in Concord. Wednesday nights in Concord. So we would... Um, Highly encourage you to look at that. And again, it's all about relationship, right? And also plug for a cleansing stream, right? Because how many of you know that after we have given our lives to Jesus, we need to try to clean all the junk up, right? It doesn't magically disappear after we uh, give our lives. And so cleansing stream will help you go through and deal with the issues that you have brought into your relationship. And thirdly, I'm going to give a plug for a Conquer Series. Some of you may know what Conquer Series is, some of you may not, but this deals with men walking in sexual purity. This has been the elephant in the room in the church for a long time that we don't talk about. So if anybody's interested in it, um, we are doing sign-ups. We have um, room for nine more men. One of the interesting statistics, and if you go and if you've been to service, or will be at service, Pastor Steve will be talking about this today. The 68% of the men and 38% of the women in church have watched pornography at least once in the last week. It is the spiritual cancer of our time. And so it's time for us to walk as Jesus wants us to walk, talk as Jesus wants us to talk, think as Jesus wants us to think. And so that's going to take men to stand up and to have courage and say, you know what? I want to be the man that God's calling me to be. And I have some issues that I need to deal with. All right. So here's your opportunity. That's it for that plug. So, this series is called Relational ROI. 
Does anybody know, and ROI is a financial term, does anybody know what ROI stands for? Return on investment. Return on investment. Okay. So it's kind of interesting. We're coming out of Ann and Dave's teaching that had to do with money um, in couples and how that deals relationally. So we're looking at return on investment from a relational standpoint. So we don't necessarily think about return on investment from a relational standpoint. You know, if we have money and we want to invest it, whether it's mutual funds, CDs, the first thing we do is we want to find out what's our return on our investment. If we buy real estate and we're investing money, the first thing we ask is, what's our return on investment going to be? Well, we don't think about it in these terms, but from a relational standpoint, we kind of have the same kind of thought process, although we don't take ROI and marry it up with relationship. But I'll give you an example. So when I had my children, I invested myself and my time and my money in my children. Okay. Now, I didn't think about it in its terms, but when I did that investment in my children, the return I was looking for was when my children grew up, that they would become productive members of society. Okay. Now, I didn't go to my children and say, hey, I'm investing all this in you, and this is what I expect, right? But realistically, that's what I did expect. I expected that if I raised them and I loved them and I nurtured them, they would grow up to be those kind of human beings. So for me, my return on my investment was to see my children attain to that. Okay? We kind of have the same thing that goes on in our marital relationships. When we get married, we want to love and we want to care and we want to nurture our spouse. And there's a hope that our spouse would want to give the same thing back to us. So yes, I'm investing all that time. I invested all that time in my wife, Leona, and I would hope that she would love and care and nurture me in return, and so I would reap a return on my investment. Okay? Sounds kind of weird, kind of like, you know, but when you think about it from that standpoint, right, isn't that the truth? Now, we'll talk later on in the series in terms of that because we're not to look at those things in terms of, okay, well, I'm giving to get. Okay, that can easily sort of be the, the, the model. And we're not saying that we're giving strictly from a standpoint because we're looking to get. But the reason I bring this up is that Jesus expects a return on his investment. Because 
he has made an investment in all of us. Right? Not only with his life and his blood, but those gifts and talents that he's given you. So he is expecting a return on his investment. And so this kind of kicks in the face of where we are, unfortunately, in most of the popular church, because in the popular church, right, it's all about what Jesus can do for me. Right? It's all about what Jesus can give me. It's all about how Jesus can bless me. It's all about me, what he can do for me. And we rarely talk about what we can do for Jesus. But I think that why, and I really love what the, what, um, the summer series has been, Encounters with Jesus, because encounters with Jesus are not always pleasant. They're not always what we want to hear. Right? He says things like, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Bless you. He says things like, if you want to follow me, you need to pick up your cross. Right? That means that there's something that we owe to Jesus. It's not all about Jesus giving to us. So we're going to look at a parable today in a little bit of a different twist. And this series is going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. Okay. It's only going to be hard if we don't, if we kick against the goads, so to speak. Okay. Because following Jesus is not really hard. Where it's hard is where our wants and our desires don't mesh with Jesus's wants and desires. Then we have a hard time, we have a battle, we're struggling. It's kind of like when my kids were growing up, I used to tell my kids this, I said, you know what? Doing the right thing is not hard. You just have to choose to want to do the right thing. But if you choose not to do the right thing and you want to do your thing, and you want to kick against authority, and you want to do all those things, life becomes very hard. But it's not because life itself is making it hard. It's because you, yourself, have decided that you don't want to do right. Okay? It's the same thing with following Jesus. And I'm not saying that it's easy, easy. Jesus asks us some things where we've got to put what, we've got to put our stuff on the altar, right, in order to pick his up. Okay, so we're going to deal with this scripture, and it's from Matthew 24th chapter, verses 14 to 30. And remember, we're looking at this from a relational standpoint. So just a little background before we get into this, and actually starts in Matthew 24, when Jesus was asked what was the sign of the end times. And so Jesus goes through this discourse in terms of no man knows the hour and, and, and things like that, but he gets to chapter 25, and he begins to lay out what's expected of those 
who call themselves by the name of Christ. So in the beginning of this chapter, he starts out with the parable of the ten virgins. So what I would ask you to do through the this four-week course is to study Matthew 25. Okay, Because Matthew 25 really hones in on what Jesus is looking for. So again, remember I said, Jesus is looking for a return on his investment. Okay, If you study the scripture enough, you'll begin to see the pattern where he's requiring something of us. Okay? So I'm going to start at verse 14. And this is the parable of the talents. A lot of you are familiar with this. And he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted him with his entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, to another one bag of gold. Each according to his ability. That's important. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought five others. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master said, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested, harvested where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, which is the one that hid it and give it to the one that has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have shall be taken from them. And throw this worthless servant out into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing.
that a hard saying or is that a hard saying? So there are seven points that I want to bring out in this passage. Number one, he gave to each according to his ability. Okay, Jesus isn't looking for you to meet the standards of anyone else. He's looking to you to do the best you can with what have been what you have been given. Whatever your relational gift is, use it for the good of others. So you notice here, he was not really comparing one to another. Because when you see it, the five, the man that had five bags, he brought five more. Right? What he said to that servant was the same as he said to the servant with two bags. Right? He said, well done. Right? You've been faithful in few. I'll give you much. Right? So the guy that had the two bags, it wasn't his responsibility to look over the other guy and go, wow, this guy had five bags, and now he's coming with ten bags. Right? And I've only got like four. So I got to work really hard because I got to measure up to the guy with five. He said he gave to each one according to their ability. So you don't have to look at the guy that is, you know, he's doing all this and, you know, he's he's doing all this stuff in church and ministry and you're going, wow, you know, I wish I could be like that guy. Well, Jesus didn't create you to be like that guy. He created you to be you. So the point is, what is it that Jesus has given me that I need to take and do something with? Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing was the first two servants understood that what they were given was to be used to be gained for something to be gained for the master. Right? So in other words, what they were given was not just for themselves. You know, it wasn't just for themselves to kind of sit and go, wow, I've got all this, you know, great knowledge and I've got all this compassion and I've got all this grace and mercy. Well, that's great that you have that. But if you don't do anything with it, it doesn't profit anybody anything. So the second thing to understand is what's been given to you is not only for you, but it's for someone else. So in this class, where we have talked for, how long have you been doing this class for? That seems like 10. Actually, it was. Actually, it was. Right? It's been a long time. I'm sorry, I got a lot going on today. Thank you for that, by the way. But the whole idea is, and it's not just talking about you, it's talking about us, too. Ron and Jean, Ann and Dave, Leona and I, okay. 
we've learned as much from this class as you guys have learned. All right. So that's great if Leona and I's marriage, because we've been in this class for 10 years and have been teaching it, that if our marriages got better, right? But what profit is that for the rest of God's people? Right? So it'd be great if our marriage is great. But now, if we did not take what God had given us and now try to help others with it, right? It would be like the guy that got the one bag and said, oh, this is great. I'll just keep it for myself. Is there where we can open that window? I know that I don't know what's happening with the. Uh, well, we should probably crack this door. Okay, the third point is the master con- uh, commended them for their faithfulness in putting what he gave them to good use. The other thing we want to bring forward is that. Jesus wasn't so much concerned with how much they brought, but their faithfulness to actually want to bring something. Because the one that had five bags and the one that had two bags were commended again the same way. So it wasn't that he was looking on, he didn't go to the guy with that brought back two bags and say, well, this guy brought back five. Right? How come you didn't bring like three? How come you didn't bring like four? Right? Again, what he commended him on was his faithfulness. Right? So again, this it's not this idea of measuring. It's as, it's this idea of Jesus has invested something in me. Well, I understand that he's looking for a return on what has been invested in me. Number four, the two servants gained so much more than they invested. Jesus told them, you have been faithful with a few, right? So I'm going to put you in charge of much. What's interesting about it is that the servants didn't do what they did with that kind of gain in mind. They didn't know that that's what Jesus was going to say. They didn't know that, hey, you know, I gave you these two bags of gold. You brought two more. So now I'm going to give you, I'm going to put you in charge of a whole lot. Again, it was their faithfulness to understand who Jesus was, what was deposited in them, and what they needed to do. So that speaks to every one of us because here's the thing. Every one of you has at least one gift. 
and more than one death. The question is, what are you doing with it? Are you doing anything with it? And again, this is not comparing one to the other. It's the idea that, Jesus, you gave me a gift, and you gave me that gift to do something with it. What are we doing with it? Okay, because if you go back in Matthew 24, he talks about, toward the end of Matthew 24, he says, no man knows the hour that Christ will show. And it's why he starts in Matthew 25, also with the um, parable of the ten virgins. Because when you read the parable of the ten virgins, they went and got oil for their lamps because they didn't know the hour that Jesus was coming, so they didn't want to be caught, right? Not prepared. And it's, that's what the parable of the ten virgins is really about. The other didn't take enough oil because they were like, oh, you know what? Well, we got time. You know, we got time. I have news for you. Time is shorter than what you think it is. So the idea of kind of waiting around because we have time, you don't know how long you have. And that's what Jesus was talking about in the, at the end of Matthew 24. He said, no man know the hour, not even the sun. So the whole idea is, are we making the most of every opportunity? Right? Are we making the most of the relational gifts that we've been giving to the best of our, of our ability? If you need to settle accounts with somebody, don't wait till next week. Do it today. If there's somebody that you have not forgiven, don't wait till next week. Do it today. If there's somebody that needs to know how much you love and appreciate them, don't wait till next week. Do it today. Because what Jesus is saying is you don't know the hour. Now, he was talking about you don't know the hour of the coming of the Son of Man, but we don't know the hour of our own lives. There have been many stories of people that laid down to go to sleep. They didn't get up. And it's living our lives now, in the here and now. Not waiting till next week. Not waiting till next month. Not wait till the next time I might see this person. Do it now. Take those things that Jesus has given you relationally. Do it now. Okay, not tomorrow. Number five. The last servant's perception of his master is a perception that many have of God. So let me read you what the last servant said. Okay. 
So it's in 24. And the man who received the one bag of gold said, Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathered where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. So several things here. First of all, the last servant had no idea of who his master really was. Right? Because he starts off and says, see, you're a hard master. Now, unfortunately, many have that interpretation in the church. Partly, it's the church's fault. But partly, it's their fault. Because every one of us has a Bible. We can get a Bible and, oh my goodness, they're coming out with a new translation like every week. I mean, I went on my U version. It's like, you know, here's 83,000 different versions. It's like, my goodness, it's crazy. You have every concordance known to man. So what I'm telling you is there's no reason why that last servant should have had that perception of his master. There's no reason today why we should have that perception of God. Now, I know that many of us have been hurt and injured and different things in the church. All right. But if you want to know who God really is, it's great that, you know, Pastor Steve and Pastor John preach. And it's, it's great that, you know, you got all these people on TV. It's great. But you're not going to know God for yourself that way. We have to be people of the word that are obedient to the word. Period. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. You know, people 500 years ago or so when there was only one Bible in the church and it was up to the priest to read out of the Bible, they had an excuse. You don't. I'm sorry, you don't. So this servant that comes and says, well, I know you're a hard man. Because see, when I go out in the world, I hear the same thing. Oh, wow, you know, God is, who could ever follow God like that? Oh, my goodness. I mean, he's like, he's horrible. You know, he's dictatorial. You know, he's bigoted. He's blah, blah, blah. He's this and that. And the first thing I ask him, have you ever read the book? Well, no, you know, I heard this guy, you know, on TV, and he said this, and this really, a... yeah, I know. They're all human beings. None of us perfect. Did you read the book? Well, no, I don't need to read the book. I saw so. Read the book and then come back and tell me he's dictatorial. Come back and read and, and tell me after you've read the book that he's big. We don't have the excuse anymore. Number six. If the last servant was truly afraid of the master, he would have done something with that one bag, even if it was out of fear. The action of the servant 
shows that it was, it was as Jesus said, it was truly more out of laziness. Because he didn't use and didn't want to use what he was given. Right? Because here's what Jesus said. He said, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I had harvested, I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, you would have, I would have received it back with interest. So here's the thing. Even if he hadn't done anything other than take that bag down to the banker and would have deposited it. So when the master came back, he would have at least had something. Right? A couple of pennies, a couple of shekels, whatever. It would have at least shown that if he was truly afraid of losing that one bag, that he would have at least done something. But he didn't do anything. He did nothing. Okay, so as the body of Christ, we do a disservice when in our teaching, we don't teach that you have been given a gift, you need to do something with it. Because this teaching here, he's talking to people in the church, not outside the church. So we have this thing nowadays where we come to Christ and everything's good. Right? And we take this big, broad brush of grace. And we brush it over everything. Right? And that means that I really don't have to do anything. But let's remember that you were saved unto good works. Okay? Your works do not buy you salvation. But you were saved unto good works. Don't believe me? Read your Bible. Don't take my word for it. Because I could be telling you anything. You don't know. You can walk out of here and go, oh yeah, Joe, you know, said this and that. And if I'm wrong... Come back and tell me I'm wrong. Because then that means I need to read more of my own Bible. Um, so, and actually, I'm glad you talked about this way because I've always, okay. whenever I read that, I've always been like, what, what are the talents? Like, I don't, I didn't really understand it. I'm still kind of questioning it. Like, okay, so I guess there's like two parts to my question. One, like, what would you say to, because I used to hear at the church I went to, your, your salvation is a free gift, you don't have to do anything. Um, you know, obviously, like like you said, you know, you, you, your good works don't buy you salvation. Um, but you know, they would say you, you don't, you can't. Like I remember, I asked you this before, like you can't lose your salvation. Mm -hmm. That, um, but I always, from reading the Bible, I was like, okay, well, I mean, you have to live your life right, or else why, you know, why become a Christian? I don't understand. You know, um, so, um, like, what would you say to somebody who says, you know, it's you know, we're, we're saved by grace. Salvation is a free gift. You don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, the talents, is it talking about, like, you said relationally, so it's like you're using your gifts, like, in relationship with people, like, that's what the talents are, or is it, like, living your life 
according to the word or like what? Let me answer the second one first, okay, okay. right? So talents, what he's talking about is everything that you've been given, okay. right? So your time, your talent, your treasure, right? You use in service for others. Okay, so when you look at the, the, the talents and what he's talking about in money, he's using that money as a representation of everything that you've been given. Okay, Gene, do you want to, before I deal with her first question? What I was going to do was kind of give an analogy. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like, you know, our salvation is like getting a brand new car. Mm -hmm. You know, our, our whatever, whether it be a, you know, F-150 or a Lamborghini or a Pinto or, you know, um, and we get that vehicle and we park it in the garage. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, we still have that vehicle, mm -hmm. but if we park it in the garage and only take it out on Sundays to go to church, mm -hmm. um, really what's the purpose of that vehicle? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, we've been given so much, mm -hmm. but are we using it to the fullest? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, for me, that analogy helps me to understand, mm -hmm. are we taking the investment that Christ has put into us mm -hmm. and putting it to good purpose? Mm -hmm. Are we parking it and saying, yeah, we've got that F-150, mm -hmm. but we refuse to help anyone move. Right. We refuse to, you know, help tow anything. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, we're just going to show it off on church on mm -hmm. Sunday, make sure it's all polished mm -hmm. and put it back in the garage. Mm -hmm. And, and, and with this, what Jesus is teaching here, remember what happened to the last servant. Because it says, even what he has has been taken from him. Right? So there, there's, a, there's an element of, let me go back and answer your first question this way. If I say that I believe in something, and you can study James out for that. If I go and I say that I believe in something, my life, my actions, my deeds, my words are going to be evidence of my belief. Okay? So by the mere fact that I'm speaking words, right? doesn't necessarily mean that I believe. And if you go back and look at the Greek word for belief, okay, it's what I call evidential belief. Okay. Because, I'll give you an example. If I give you a piece of land, and I tell you, on that piece of land, if you believe that what I told you, that there's a million dollars in a box buried somewhere on that piece of land, if you believe that, right, then I'll give you this piece of land. What would I expect you to do if you believe that? Look for it, right? All right, I have a bulldozer, right? I'd be out there just, you know, we're tearing that whole thing up, right? I took the land because I believed that there was a million dollars there. Now, if I gave you that piece of land and I came back a year later and I see you with a umbrella up, 
you know, some, uh, I was going to say Kool-Aid, but lemonade. <laughs> I'm not talking about Kool-Aid anymore. But Texas tea, yeah. And I see you, you know, kick back. I see you on an umbrella. And I see that the land is like overgrown. <laughs> right? And I come back and I go, wait a minute. I gave you this land and I told you <laughs> there was a million dollars here. But from what I see, you haven't done anything. Right? And you say, oh, no, no, you know what? No, I believe, I believe it's here. What am I to think? You may say that you believe that was here. But the evidence by you doing nothing shows me you never believed in the first place. Okay? Does that kind of help you? That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So again, and that's why I say you study James out because James says, right, I'll show you my faith by what I do. Because he said even the demons believe in God and shudder. Okay. So again, and when you and again, that's why I said study your study your Bible, study your Bible because you'll see, you know, why does Jesus say pick up your cross and follow me, right? Because what's going to happen is, in the end, and when you read, actually, when you read, and I'll come back next week, but if you read the end of Matthew twenty-five, and he talks about the sheep and the, the sheep and the goats, right? And again, these people in the church, not outside the church. And he gathers one and he says, come with me to eternal life. Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. And they said, where do we see you? See, what was evident about that was a heart change, right? They did these things out of their heart. It wasn't that, oh, let me do these things and I might check off some things here for the Lord. Because if it was, they wouldn't have said, well, where did we see you? We didn't see you. We were just doing what we knew to do. And to the other ones, he said, you know, go to where the lake of fire that has been prepared for the angels. And they were like, why? Like, because you didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me. You didn't come visit me. And they said the same thing. Well, when did we see you? Right? Jesus' teachings, quite frankly, not for the faint of heart. It's not going to be this easy nice stuff you see on TV and everybody's up and shouting we're having a good time and we're just going to talk about all the blessings of Jesus don't get me wrong, I love the blessings of Jesus be a fool not to but if you think that Jesus came to earth to make your life better and to be your cosmic genie you got a whole other thing coming because unfortunately there's going to be a whole lot like this last servant And that doesn't have to be. 
if you know, if you understand. And see, the thing about the beauty about Jesus is, again, he's not, you know, this isn't like your boss at work, you know, when you have the sales goals, right? And, you know, you better, because I used to be in a church like that. I used to be in a church like, you save any souls this week? Right? You save any souls this week? How many people you tell about Jesus? You save any souls this week? Well, first of all, I can't save anybody. Right? And second of all, this is this is not it's not a sales goal. Right? We're not gonna come in and go, well, yeah, you know, I led five people to the Lord today. Oh wow, what what are you doing? You know, you're not working that hard because this guy saved five. You better save eight next week. This isn't a sales goal. What I love about Jesus, when you look at the end of Matthew 25, he said, did you give me some food? Did you give me some clothes? Did you come visit me? How much does it take to do that? It doesn't. How much does it take to do that? It doesn't. Right? Because it's their heart. It's, it's what Jesus wants from them. It's what he's deposited in them. It's what he wants to see you give to others. It's not a lot. It's not a lot at all. Right? But we have to have the mindset. We have to know who Jesus is. We have to know who we are. We have to know what he's called us to do. What are your gifts? If you don't know, Growth Track would be a great place to find out. Right? And growth track isn't just for the church. Growth track is for every place that you set the sole of your foot. Because wherever you work, whoever the people are in your sphere of influence, God has put you there. And he's put you there with some gifts to give to those people. And when you know that and you understand that, you are giving Jesus a return on his investment. So, seven. And then we're going to wrap up. The last servant lost what he had because, not because of the hardness of the master, but because of his own laziness. <coughs> he lost what he had not because of the hardness of the master, is what he said, but because of his own laziness. See, the reality is that Jesus talked about that the gospel will be preached to the whole world, and then the end will come. Do you know why he said that? Right. Now, one depends on what side of the church you've been growing up in. Because one side will say, that's because when he condemns everybody, he wants to condemn them really good. Because they heard the message, and they didn't listen to the message, and they're condemned. If you grew up on the other side of the church. Right? The word says that he wished not one would perish, but that all come to repentance. See, because here's the thing that 
we don't seem to understand. If Jesus, if God wanted to mess with us, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. He could have left Jesus in heaven and just messed with us anyway. Right? Right. He's like, what am I going to send my son for these people? Right? They're, hey, you know, we're just going to let them play out the consequences of their sin and bye-bye. That's it. Right? The cross. The cross. The cross. That is why the cross is so important. Because that God that loved you so much came down and died for you. God's not interested in sending a bunch of people to hell. But here's the other truth. Sin is spiritual cancer. Right? Now, if you had cancer and you go to a doctor, doctor's not going to go, well, you know, well, we're just going to kind of wait around and see what happens. No, we know what's going to happen. You're going to die. So the doctor's going to tell you, look, you've got an option here. The option is, I need to cut that thing out of you. Because you're going to die. Right? Jesus came and said, look, the whole world, right, all creation is condemned because of the choice that it made. We are trying our darndest to save you because we don't want to see that happen to you. Do you get the difference? Do you get the difference? He's doing everything that he can to save us. And that's why it's a free gift. Right? Because we're not good enough. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough. We can't, we can't do any of that. That's why he came as a free gift. The last servant was solely responsible for his own faith. So I'm going to wrap up. With this, and this is a commentary by David Gutzik on this parable. And he says, and he's talking about the third servant now, he says, because he was wicked and lazy, the third servant demonstrated that he was not a true servant at all. It is fitting that he and all those who show the same heart are cast out forever of the master's presence. The main point of this parable is clear. Our readiness for Jesus' return is determined by our stewardship of, our re of the resources that he has given to us. Some think that this readiness for Jesus' return is rather, is rather a mystical thing. But really, it isn't. It's, being, it's, about, it's a matter of being about our business for the Lord. In light of this parable, we must ask ourselves, what have we done with our knowledge, our time, our money, our ability? The sin of omission ultimately may be more dangerous than the sin 
of commission. You know what the sin of omission and commission are? The sin of commission is when I know something is wrong and I do that. In its simplest terms, the sin of omission is when I know what to do right and I don't do it. So in that parable that I spoke to you about that is after this parable of the sheep and the goat, right? The right thing to do was to feed the hungry. The right thing to do was to clothe the naked. The right thing to do was to go to visit those in prison. But they didn't do the right thing. They chose to do nothing. Right? So, like he says, sometimes it's more dangerous not to do the right thing than it is to do the wrong thing. We've all been given gifts. Relational gifts. You can start today by doing something with it. Might be a phone call, might be a hug, might be a word of encouragement, might be going over and sitting with somebody who just lost a loved one, might be getting on the phone and encouraging somebody who's going through a hard time. That's why I said it's not, Jesus is not looking for this thing that's like so lofty that's not unattainable. But we just got to understand what we've been given, who we are in Christ, and then look for opportunities. The Lord will give you more opportunities than you can even shake a stick at. If, if your heart, Lord, this is what I want to do. Lord, this is what you've called me to do. Lord, this is what... Forget all the, you know, forget all the, okay, if I do this, I'm going to reap a reward. On Forget all that. You loved me enough to go to the cross. That's enough. You loved me enough to save me, to love me, to care for me, to, cur- to encourage me. That's enough. Even if he didn't give me anything, that's more than enough. And with that heart of gratitude and with that heart of servanthood, right? Lord, use me. I'm available. Use me. There's a whole old hymn in church we used to sing. Lord, if I can do anything, use me. Use my hands. Use my feet. Just you. I'm available. I'm available to be used. Right? And if you do that, you don't have to worry about this. You don't have to worry about that parable because that parable will not apply to you. Father, we just thank you for this time. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for what you have given us, given to us. We thank you, Jesus, that you say, take upon me Take upon yourselves my burden, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
So we understand, God, you're not looking for us to build mountains. You're not looking for us to build towers. You're looking to know that you have invested something in us and you're simply looking for us to give it away to others. So Father, I pray that today that your spirit has touched something in every one of us, me included, Lord. That Lord, that we begin to look to see how we can be a blessing, whether it be a hug, a word of encouragement, a smile, whatever that is, Lord, but that we do it in your name. Because Lord, what we realize is when we give a hug in your name, Father, we're, Lord, we're investing. When we give a word of encouragement in your name, Lord, we're investing. Lord, when we give a smile in your name, we're investing. When we give forgiveness in your name, we're investing. And then, Lord, when we invest those, you are the one that reaps the return. And then, Lord, we long to hear that day, faithful servant, you have been faithful in a few things. Come, I will put you in charge of many things. And, Lord, we don't do that to gain, but we do that so that you be pleased with us. Lord, we know that we can't pay you back for dying on the cross. We know that we can't pay you back for eternal life. And we don't do it as a payback, but we do it as a gratitude to a God that loves us more than he loved himself because he put himself on the cross. We thank you, Lord. Bury this teaching deep in our hearts. Keep us, Lord, until we come back at the appointed time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.